I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, Weekside Podcast listeners. I am Connor Orr alongside my esteemed co-host, SI senior writer Jenny Ventus and uh, you know it's been a crazy week in the NFL I feel like we say that every week it's been uh, you know just the holiday hustle and bustle that's going on a lot of Hallmark movies uh, to get through <laughs> which uh, you know we've all been working very hard to ensure that uh, we see all that but uh, we got a special treat last week and I, I we didn't get a chance to talk about it it came out after we recorded our podcast last week, and that is a phenomenal story that was done by Jenny um, and fellow uh, SI senior writer Greg Bishop about the uh, specter of uh, one Jack Easterby in Houston. A lot of questions about how a character coach kind of rose and a chaplain rose to the, the top of that organization. And I'm not going to spoil it like I often do. I get very excited about Jenny's stories, and I kind of I just spew all the gen bombs out before you guys get a chance to read it. So this time I'm going to just uh, toss it to Jenny real quick and just tell us why we should read it. It's still on the site. It's phenomenal. And uh, that's what I'm going to say about it. Well, thanks for the setup, Connor. I appreciate it. Uh, Gary Gramling also edited the story and Lauren Green fact fact checked it. So it was a team effort for sure. Basically, we wanted to take a look at the role of Jack Easterby, who has become a figure of curiosity around the league um, and depending on whom you ask has drawn either admiration or scrutiny. Um, Adding to that curiosity is that he hasn't conducted any on the record interviews since September. So others have been left to sort of make sense of this polarizing executive. And um, in the course of our reporting, asking about his role in Houston, Uh, learning more about his rise from Kansas City chaplain to character coach with the Patriots organization, and even further back to the start of his career in South Carolina, um, we learned a lot of things about his path to where he is now. And um, it's interesting because, you know, some people we spoke to called the 37-year-old a guiding force in their lives, beloved minister and mentor who shepherded two NFL franchises through difficult times and became part of the foundation of the Patriots' late dynasty years, which earned him a rare spot in Bell Belichick's inner circle. But many in Houston have not seen him as that same congenial confidant and Belichick foil. Rather, they describe an authority figure. I'm reading from the story now to be careful with my words, uh, whose leadership style sows distrust and division at times flouting rules and straining relationships inside the building. Meanwhile, his responsibilities have expanded despite questions surrounding his credentials. So through our conversations with more than 40 people, we were able to piece together and reconstruct detailed accounts of his alleged role in, among other things, undermining other executives and decision makers, including the head coach who helped bring him to Houston, 
The team's holding workouts at the head strength coach's house during the COVID-19 pandemic after the NFL had ordered franchises to shut down all facilities shortly before a breakout of infections among players, advocating for a trade of star receiver DeAndre Hopkins soon after arriving in Houston, one season before Hopkins was sent to Arizona in a widely panned deal, and fostering a culture of distrust among staff and players to the point that one Texan and two other staffers believed players were being surveilled outside the building. Um, We also mentioned that some of the people that we spoke to who requested anonymity for fear of retribution said they wanted to share their own truth in the hopes of opening the eyes of owner Cal McNair. Um, And so now, you know, it's an interesting point for the Texans, Connor. Uh, Easterby has risen to the top of the organization. Right now, he's the acting general manager. He's um, oversees football operations. But Cal McNair has said that his role will be determined once they hire the new head coach and GM. And so there's a sense that he's scrambling right now. And um, with his role uncertain, um, but you know he's completed what many see as a, a rise to power and, and having won a power struggle. Um, but as we spoke to many sources, the picture that emerged from Houston is that many people said that the character coach brought in to improve the culture has made it worse. That's so interesting. And with all of the stories, especially um, the ones that Jenny has done, I can promise that it's, you know, it weaves together just, you know, such thorough reporting and excellent narrative storytelling, which everybody has come to love about SI, but it, it reads like a thriller. I cannot recommend this enough for any of our listeners. So please, guys, do yourself a favor and, uh, and go check it out. It's great. Um, it's still up, uh, and it will be for the foreseeable future. It was a daily cover. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, at five, five stars. Do I have my own rating system yet with like an or pun? Do I have oh, something like that? Like five uh, stores? No, five that, stores. Eh. Yeah, we can come up with something better. I mean, I can't believe that we don't already have this. I feel like we have exhausted every possible or pun. <laughs> but perhaps this gives me hope that there's more work to do, more new frontiers, more or puns to create. Yeah, you know, all, overall. You know, just exciting things. You know, uh, things for you guys to look forward to uh, here on the Weekside Podcast. Forward to. Forward. <laughs> Very good. All right. Uh, speaking of looking forward, um, <laughs> I will read news topic number one here. Uh, the Eagles down the NFC's top-seeded Saints on Sunday with Jalen Hurts at the helm. Doug Peterson. Woo. Bertine. Amazing. That's right. Shelby on his game. Right. Like, like. I'm not saying that Shelby is slow on the trigger ever, but like this was the fastest one by far. Like it feels like he's upped his game as well. Like everybody is is ready to go today. It gets me fired up. Um, so Doug Peterson said Hertz will continue on as the starter, um, but he also couched some of his success. He said, "You guys really don't understand what you're seeing there. A lot of the offense moving the ball was unscripted runs." So it's kind of an odd way to sort of couch what was a really special moment for Jalen Hurts there. So it seems like instead of having his cake and eating it too, Peterson seems to have opted for a diet while also lambasting the idea of cake in general. No one seems happy in Philadelphia except for maybe Jalen Hurts and our buddy Zach Berman, who covers Eagles, who's always happy. Um, so uh, what now, Jenny? Like what what happens? Because... I don't know. I thought this was a really special moment uh, yesterday for the Eagles. And yeah, I mean, your future is going to be weird, but you should enjoy this right now. I really like how you set up the news topic here, Connor, because I think that's really perceptive. 
the there was footage of Hertz coming off the field and he was doing the the post game TV interview and then he was walking off into the locker room and he had this huge smile on his face and what a special moment to come in yeah. and win your first start and really revive the team um and I think Peterson's comments were odd because he's caught in this unusual place right on the one hand you have Carson Wentz who was on his way to becoming an MVP before tearing his ACL and then he's never returned to that form so there's some kind of disappointment or you don't want to use the word failure because he could still have a long career ahead of him but some of that probably falls on Peterson or he feels like he bears some responsibility for that on the other hand you have Hertz and I said this on the Monday show with Gary Connor but he wasn't just a spark for the offense. He gave the offense a new identity and a new purpose. And they really um, doubled down on the run game, more than 200 yards rushing. And while Peterson wrote some of that off as unscripted runs, that really downplays the I, the reality, rather, that because of Hertz's mobility, it allowed the offense to do so many other things that they weren't able to do with Wentz. And I was skeptical that just a quarterback change would help because – there have been so many problems with this Eagles offense. It seemed impossible to think, even by changing the most important position on the field, that you could cure all of these ills. But what it did was it allowed Doug Peterson to call a better game. It allowed the players around Hurts to thrive. It minimized perhaps any issues with protection or uh, dearth at the receiver position. And so what resulted was a really fun product to watch and a really exciting game against a good NFC opponent that the Eagles won. The number one seed in the division, if you go by DVOA, which I like to do for football outsiders, that's sort of my favorite overall statistic to judge a defense. The Saints are the best defense in the league. And this is where Jalen Hurts comes in and gets his first career start, his first career win. And I don't know. I mean, it, it, this is not ever going to make up for, I think, you know, in terms of public perception, what had happened to him in his college career. I mean, he's famously the guy who was benched at halftime of the Alabama uh, National Championship game. Tua Tunga-Vailoa comes in, wins the game, come from behind thing, and then Jalen Hurts has to transfer to Oklahoma um, to continue his career. But this is almost the same scenario reversed, and I feel like, you know, maybe there's a there's at least that a small personal bit of satisfaction there because, you know, Jalen Hurts is known for a long time that he's a great quarterback um he's had to weather some you know adversity certainly on the field and to be able to see him hang in there as long as he has and then come back and and win a game like that I mean I, I thought that was great I mean I loved every minute of it and I think that you know if you're the Eagles you have to embrace that too because the NFC is still open and like what, what else are you gonna do are you gonna just pretend you're miserable if you're Doug Peterson for the next four weeks to make Carson Wentz happy because you know he's gonna be there I mean I think in some ways you have to trust the process a little bit and know that either Jalen Hurts is gonna come back and or Jalen Hurts is gonna play well for the rest of the year and he'll be your guy moving forward and Howie Roseman is a good enough executive to get a team who trades for Wentz to eat some of his contracts so it's not terrible to deal him or 
uh, this lights a fire under Carson Wentz, which is also something that Doug Peterson can do, you know? So I don't know if I'm him, I'm, I'm happy, you know, like uh, this is at least, you know, I made a decision, it paid off and it shows that I have the pulse of the team here. And let's give it up for this kid who probably, you know, has wanted something like this for his entire life. Yeah. And he's been a really easy guy to root for dating back to that benching at Alabama, the way he handled that um, was really admirable. And it's hard to know exactly what the Eagles' plan was for Jalen Hurts when they drafted him in the second round. Obviously, that move got a lot of criticism, and I'm sure whatever happens with Hurts in the forthcoming weeks, years, months, whatever the case may be, I'm sure we will hear many versions of what their plan was when they drafted him. The reality is they probably had a lot of different options in mind. One is he could be a package quarterback. Two is you want a upgrade at the backup position, uh, recognizing that it's likely that quarterbacks miss time, especially with the expanded season on the horizon. Um, And the other option is maybe insurance for Carson Wentz. Now, the Eagles have a lot of money invested in Carson Wentz, so would they want Wentz to be their starter and Hurts to be available as a backup or in packages? Sure. However, if things did not go well with Wentz as they have not gone well this season they had another option to turn to and at least in his first performance he has been a successful option so whatever they had in mind or whatever options were possible when they drafted Hertz it was a good move to be able to have another talented player on the roster I was not as congenial as Hertz was when I was benched um, (laughs) in b-team football Um, my friend Joel we were like thick as thieves. And one day the coach just said, Connor, you're not, you know, this was like, I was in fifth grade. And he said, you're not going to play there anymore. And then the next day of practice, my buddy was there. And I said, what's going on? And, uh, you know, we didn't talk for a little while because, because I, I, you know, so good for Jalen Hurts. I, I don't think I would have been able to handle that. But uh, one more point on this. Um, I saw, forget who it was, so forgive me, but one of the plugged in sort of Patriots uh, reporters had hinted at the fact that Nick Casario, before this uh, season started, was saying that they got two of the three guys that they wanted at the top of the draft, and there seemed to be some momentum uh, leading everybody to believe that Jalen Hurts was that third guy, like through the sort of the context clues of the situation, the fact that the Patriots desperately needed a quarterback, uh, as Jenny uh, knows better than anyone, Bill Belichick's relationship with Nick Saban and the information that he was probably able to get on Hurts. So um, that would have been interesting, too, I think, to see Jalen Hurts run the show in New England, too. Yeah, that is an interesting note. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, what do we got for uh, topic number two? All right, Connor. The Pittsburgh Steelers were bullied by the Bills on Sunday night football, leading to a second straight loss. Their offense looks flat and costs Connor a berth in the second round of his fantasy football playoffs. What? Yeah. I didn't know. Okay. I got beat by a six seed. Ugh. Ah, darn it. All right. (laughs) Their defense, while still destructive, cannot hold the weight alone. Is it time to panic in Pittsburgh? Can you panic when you're 11 and 2? I love uh, how 
spicy Mike Tomlin's been throughout this entire thing. Yes. Like, I think that's my favorite part. It's like, he's just like, either catch the ball or I'm going to hire people who will catch the ball. Like, it's just, like, it's just so refreshing. And like, you know, and he's got the cachet to say it, you know, like, Mm -hmm. it's not like Matt Patricia saying catch the ball and everybody just looks at him like he's, you know, whatever. But, you know, this is like Mike Tomlin saying, figure this out or I'm going to find somebody who who does. And, And you believe him, you know, and I think it's been such a fun experience to watch him coach this team from the beginning of the year to now and even watching him kind of handle this because it does trickle down. Um, ben Roethlisberger in years past has not been that great stand-up leader and he has even kind of adopted Mike Tomlin's tone and is talking about how bad he's playing too. It has been interesting hearing Roethlisberger's responses to very legitimate questions from the media. But I would also say that Mike Tomlin's personality and the vibe that he puts out there is the way that I would love to be in all of my work interactions. Just an (laughs) earned confidence that demands the best. And, you know, I just, I, I like how direct he is and I would aspire to be that direct. And I think ultimately that's what will get the Steelers through this stretch. Connor, I'm not exceedingly worried. I think you know, the last two weeks have been a little bit strange for the Steelers. Their schedule was thrown into chaos. Um, they've had some injuries. They had that early bye. They had it in week four because of shuffling due to COVID-19 outbreaks. Um, this week they were out without Williams and Spillane, and that created a little bit of a void on the defense. The defense is also adjusting to the loss of Bush and Dupree earlier in the season. So I think sometimes those things accumulate and while the defense has been good you know the fact that it had to be on the field for so long because of all the three and outs with the Steelers offense um, there were clearly times when players were tired or having to catch their breath I think the offense has a lot of figuring out to do it's not very creative they are limited in what they can do um, because of Ben at this point in his career let's just be honest about it but um, I still think they'll find their way out of it. I think this is um, a, a point where they're just kind of ske- they're just kind of stumbling. And all along, Tomlin has said, even before they lost the game, he said our, the only thing that's perfect is our record, right? And I think some of the flaws we've seen with the Steelers have caught up to them. And I think they still have time to figure it out. Um, the Chiefs are the clear team in the AFC, the clear team in the NFL, but the Steelers are still very good, and I think they'll be able to kind of work through this rough patch. Yeah, I, I, it's so funny that like I thought at some at one point this season that <clears throat> when they were just doing crazy stuff with Chase Claypool and toying with teams at the beginning of the year that like that here's a team that hasn't even figured themselves out yet and and look at how good they're they are and then you know it's weird that we're still saying that about the offense now at this at this point in the season like James Conner the running game just hasn't come along the way that I think we all thought it would but mm-hmm. yeah I, I'm still not betting against them uh by any stretch and, and this defense is still destructive and you know it'll be interesting I mean are they sort of on a Saints plan where they're sort of limiting um, Big Ben and they're trying to, you know, get him into the playoffs as fresh as possible before he lets it rip? I mean, you know, it's weird that sometimes you listen to the broadcasters late in the game and they're filling time and they're talking about basically the stuff that they had ascertained from their conversations with the players throughout the week. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Steelers had gone to that, um, uh, you know, that kind of quick strike 
um, fast-paced offense at the end of the game to get back on it, and and that's what um, you know the broadcaster said. If Big Ben, if Big Ben had his way, this is the way the offense would work, and this is how everything would go. And you know, you've heard some things about you know maybe he would like to do things a little bit differently, but I don't know. Are they managing him? Can he be that guy still? I mean, I, I don't know. It's hard to say that you know he can be that quarterback who's going to throw the ball forty times a game at this point. Yeah, and when I said earlier, you know that a lot of the offensive struggles are because of limitations on Ben. I don't mean to put it all on him. Certainly the offensive line was so thin that they were down to their final reserve offensive lineman in the game against Buffalo. I think when you have injuries on the offensive line and when the run game is struggling, when your quarterback is largely immobile, that only exacerbates that. And certainly Ben's been getting the ball out fast. They kept uh, sharing that statistic on the broadcast, 2.2 seconds, which is incredibly fast. But there's only so much you can do. And if that's your only defense against, you know, the rush and the offensive line, uh, you know, being thinned out by injuries, then you're going to get into sticky situations, which clearly we saw on Sunday night. Do you... I mean, do you still see them making noise in the playoffs? I do. I do. I think um, I think they'll be able to get right. You know, they are a veteran team that understands what it's like to go through rough patches. I do think they have some deficiencies. And I think the limitations that in the offensive scheme, um, because of the players that they have, will show up. And that is probably their biggest problem. Um, but... I think that defense is good enough and um, will be able to carry that team to uh, some kind of playoff run. What do you think, Connor? I think so. Yeah, I think so. I think I'm being pessimistic. It's it's hard sometimes to to uh, to bet on something that you can't really see, but uh, at the same time, the pieces are all there, you know. And I think it just you know maybe it'll take a little bit of time, a little bit of health, healing, whatever it is. Uh, Boy, it's significant now that that second bye week, uh, first round bye has been taken away. Yeah. You know, it's a really interesting thing for Pittsburgh to have to go out then and play um, during that first week. But uh, we shall see. All right. So news topic number three, speaking of the Bills with the team that handed the Steelers the loss last night, they continue to cruise and are the number three seed in the AFC behind uh, uh, Pittsburgh and Kansas City. And, you know, Jenny, you wouldn't know it by asking their humble, muted fan base. <laughs> a lot of quiet uh a lot of quiet, uh, just you know, muted, uh, gentle souls up there in Orchard Park. But in all seriousness, is this the start of something massive and spectacular in Buffalo, or is this season a flash of the pan, or is it too soon to tell in terms of like you know what this team is going to be from here on out? Yeah, I was slow to come around on the Bills this season. They got off to that hot start, then they had a couple stumbles, and I just wasn't sure that I could go all in. But this was kind of one of those statement games where, I hate using that word, Connor. Gosh, what a terrible cliche. (laughs) Um, But they really did send a message that they can compete with the best in the league. And I also said this to Gary Grambling on the Monday show, but it looked like the way the Steelers used to look, right? With like this big quarterback with a big mm-hmm. arm that has some mobility and can extend plays and, you know, make things happen. And that was what Josh Allen looked like. And the defense, which earlier in the season, when they had those stumbles, it was because of the defense. And the 
defense has really improved over the last few weeks. So um, I think they're really good. I think they're legitimate, Connor. I'm going to put them number three in the power rankings this week. Woo! That's where I had him last week, too. I love it. Yeah. Very good. I love the consistency. I would say that this team, uh, and it's not to take away from anything that they have going on, I think next year I am only concerned – well, I would say beyond this season, I'm only concerned about the fact that I think they're about to lose a lot of talent. Uh, on the coaching side, I think they're going to be picked apart in free agency. Um, <clears throat> at some point, you're going to have to start putting money away for a Josh Allen extension and you know how difficult that's going to uh, be in the long term. But mm-hmm. I, you know, those are all things like... If you look at some of the better teams in the NFL and then, you know, in hindsight, a couple of years later, you look back and say, oh, my God, well, they had this person as their offensive coordinator. This person is their defensive coordinator. I think that about Leslie Frazier um, and Brian Dable. You know, I think that we might be saying that, you know, in two or three years, like, wow, I can't believe that th- they had all these guys on their staff mm-hmm. doing that. I can't believe they had Leslie Frazier as the defensive play caller. Um, you know, and, you know, this guy was, you know, whatever, having success somewhere else or is interviewing all these places, whatever it is. But I think this team has a lot of talent and they're built, you know, on a really solid foundation, but they also have, um, you know, really great coaching staff. So it'll be interesting to see if they can hang on to all that. You know, I think it's, uh, you wonder, um, that's the thing you can't really control if you're a GM. That's the one thing that, you know, you can't really stop your coaches from elevating to that certain point. That's true. But the flip side to that, Connor, is I would say that shows that McDermott uh, has a good eye for coaching talent true. and can assemble Very a talented true. staff. And so, um, you know, Frazier and Dable get other opportunities, which it seems like they'll certainly be in the mix for this year. Then I think I would have some confidence that he'd be able to fill those holes. And, you know, he really seems to have... have you hear a lot about building cultures and that seems to be this elusive thing. And it's probably overblown in in some regards in the NFL, but it does seem like McDermott and Brandon Bean really are allies and they really work well together and they've created um, a culture in Buffalo where they can, you know, work through ups and downs and um, fix flaws on the roster and the defense can bounce back after a slow stretch. And it just feels like a pretty resilient group. And um, I think that that bodes well for them, you know, continuing to build on what we've seen these last couple of years. Yeah. I mean, I can only speak to the culture that we've created here at the Weak Side Pod, but yeah, it does seem like supportive. there's a, you know, got a uh, got a good thing. I think we built a good culture I here, mean, right? I do I mean, as you know. well. We would have to get Shelby's take on that too, since there are three people on the call uh, as part of the pod. But uh, you know, from my perspective, <laughs> I'm going to take that as a yes. Awesome. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. All right. Fantastic. Glad we're all on the same page. Good for us. All right. What do we have <laughs> for right, news topic, topic number, number four. four? Deshaun Watson told reporters this week that the Texans are consulting him for their head coaching vacancy, which juxtaposes strangely with the news that the search firm they hired is pushing for Brian Schottenheimer to be the next head coach. Kidding, kind of. Most of the time, you don't hear teams admit this publicly, but this seems to be a wise decision. No, you mean a wise decision consulting the quarterback. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I, and that was, for the record, my joke about Brian Schottenheimer. Uh, that was, uh, I, I, I thought that was strange, but, uh, you know, anyway. It uh, was strange. I, I would totally agree with that, Connor. 
Um, I would say that if you're the Texans, right, he is the only selling point to this job, theoretically, at least in my mind. Um, and so why not have him involved, you know, and, and, and make sure that he's going to be around. I mean, the head coaching life cycle is so short right now. Like we're talking about Doug Peterson maybe being out in Philly after he won their only championship. And, you know, and how long does it, so the honeymoon period there is so short. And so if you can pair someone with Deshaun Watson through the remainder of his athletic prime, that makes sense to me. Yeah, I mean, this is a crucial hire. And I do wonder, you know, exactly what a quarterback will say that he's looking for, right? Because it seems like the general things that you would want in a head coach, everyone would be in, a, in agreement on. It's it goes beyond those general concepts, though, and like into the details of the plan they present and the staff that they're going to build, things that would be beyond a preliminary conversation with a quarterback. So I guess my one thought, Connor, is it would be hard to have Watson have meaningful input if he's not in those interviews, if he's not hearing the presentations, if he's not hearing the plan. Um, so it's one of those things that I think sounds good on the surface. You're consulting your quarterback, but I wonder how much value it actually brings. Um, I think the biggest question in Houston is kind of what we touched on at the top of the show. You know, uh, what role is Jack Easterby having? The Texans have made clear that he is not involved with the search committee that they've assembled. Um, but if there's a candidate he knows, they will ask him for his input. Um, I think that is relevant because he was part of this past regime. And there may be people who are looking to start fresh, looking to start anew, um, both the GM and the head coach. I mean, that relationship is hard enough to nail. It's hard enough to pair a head coach and GM um, and really have a successful partnership. And then if you add a third party to that, I think it becomes even more challenging. So Houston has an interesting situation. On the one hand, it has the greatest asset for any aspiring candidates, which is a talented quarterback. On the flip side, there's a lot of uncertainty about the organizational structure uh, and that any potential candidates will will have to assess for themselves. Yeah, no, I, I think it's... Uh... <clears throat> It's a job that I don't know if I was ranking the available openings. I don't know how high I would put it up there despite, you know, Deshaun Watson being there. I mean, you're cleaned out of draft capital. Um, there really isn't a whole lot to work with on that front. And, yeah, there's just going to be a lot of uh, a lot of things to navigate. And it is going to be kind of a test for Deshaun Watson, right? Because the flip side, like you said, uh, is now that this is out there, if he pushes for, you know, someone – who he's familiar with or friendly with, then does that draw resentment from the other 52 players in the locker room? Are they like, well, who's this guy, you know, and he's only going to be here because you're here and how expendable does that make me? And, you know, I mean, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure it's a lot like high school, you know, everybody's just freaking out and trying to figure out who they are, you know? And, uh, so I don't know, is this going to make that job easier or not? And, uh, I would use this as a time to plug the, um, the search firm here at the Weekside Podcast. We are also available for consulting, and uh, I think we do a pretty nice job. Connor so. Orr has some good insights on what's important to look for in <laughs> candidates, what kind of interview process you should put them through. I would say, in my view, Connor, you would have at least equal odds of success as Corn Ferry, but I would say <laughs> likely much higher, and I would love to see a team give you a chance. <laughs> Uh, on the coaching front, though, you did mention uh, before we move on, Deshaun not 
sitting in on the not being able to sit in on some of the stuff or and, maybe he uh, will know, I, or, I don't yeah, yeah they haven't specified right yeah um it, it, it what really interested me about the process this year is right you can't do in-person interviews until january 4th so before then you're going to be talking to P- you're, you're going to be talking to your prospective future employers on zoom and what i've heard is it's like there's this big push now to like make people interesting over zoom and like that's been america's problem for the last 10 months so welcome to the world football coaches you have to make yourself interesting on a video calling service and you know so i've heard that some uh some groups are planning on like multimedia supplementation you know like uh you know different like little video clips that you can weave in oh and yeah. just to kind of just to kind of ease the transition of you know a guy talking to you through a screen for four hours you know and other people are saying no no you can't do that because you have to make it feel as much like the pro- old process as possible and blah 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 but i think that's going to be really interesting like i think there might be like the equivalent of like the TikTok star of coaching interviews. There could be a, a, just a guy who's good on Zoom, you know? Someone who's really good with the screen sharing, you know? I mean, I maybe think- he's got a funny background, <laughs> you know? Funny background. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, a lot of options here, although also few options to really make an impact. Like how many different things can you do? I guess you could mail your binder ahead of time to the coaches or to the people you're interviewing with rather, you know, a lot of times they have a leave behind packet or something along those lines. You know what I would do? Have bird bird sounds interject <laughs> in your interview. Maybe that would work better for like the Falcons vacancy than say like the Texans. <laughs> <laughs> I think I would do like uh, I would download the, uh, the zoom, the, uh, you know, the additional backgrounds package from the pro thing and then maybe have like space in the background and say like coach or is going to be out of this world, you know, or something like that. Really kind of get them laughing off the bat. Like, I think that's that's the direction you go in, you know. Ah, in- interesting. Connor. <laughs> <laughs> this is exactly what Jenny said, by the way, about my uh, I Belichick a sweatshirt over the weekend. Um, and I was really excited about it. I've never cut the sleeves off of a sweatshirt before. Um, and Jenny said, interesting. So I, I, you know, just not on board with any of my fashion choices, my zoom choices, you know, I'm trying, you know, it's, I sort of said it because it's become this running joke between us that I like make these, I don't get very excited about things. And I I say interesting or something along (laughs) those lines when it's a fashion choice or a decision that I'm skeptical of. So just had to give my interesting line. Um, But you also said you wanted to pick up food from like a nice restaurant, like a takeaway order from a nice restaurant wearing that sweatshirt, which also Mm -hmm. like, you know, added to the interesting response, you know, interesting choice there, Connor. I'm not I'm not going (laughs) to brag, but I got I got a little uneasy when I got to the door and they had all their like Zagat stickers all over. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. They had all their Zagat stickers all over the door. And I was like, woof. Like, I really am legitimately dressed like a sweaty post-workout Belichick, <laughs> you know? And uh, I don't know how they're going to feel about it. But it was good. Just at my, teasing, uh, Connor. My salmon was good. So nice, it was worth it. Nice. Yeah. That's, that does sound delicious. That's all that matters. Um, all right. Uh, news topic number five. We're going to have a little bit of fun and revisit our playoff picks from the beginning of the season. Oh, Lord. Um, 
yeah, that, uh, yeah, I said the same thing when I went through, uh, uh, might as well do Who wants to go first? You want to go first? Or you want me to go first? I, I can go first, Connor. My, All right, let's my picture do it. is pretty bleak. <laughs> I had in the NFC one through seven, I had Seahawks, Eagles, Packers, Saints, then Rams, Falcons, Cardinals. So clearly I whiffed on the bird teams, the Eagles and the Falcons. I will say it looks like the other five will all make it. Seahawks, Packers, Saints, Rams, Cardinals. So that means I missed on the Buccaneers and whoever wins the NFC East, which at this point looks like Washington. And who could have seen that coming? If right. somebody had Washington winning that division at the outset of the year, I, th- I think they would have been laughed out of the conversation. Right. That was hard to predict. Um, so, you know, I had the Seahawks as the one seed. Um, you know, I, I, I wasn't terrible on some of these. I think you were. I think this was good. Okay. Yeah. All right. So then for the yeah. AFC one through seven, I had the Chiefs, Steelers, Patriots, woof, Texans, Ravens, Chargers, and Dolphins. So I whiffed on the AFC East. I really disrespected the Bills. I'm sure that Bills Mafia will not take that personally. Um, (laughs) Also did not do well in the Texans. I just thought that with Sean Watson, you know, that would be, uh, I I thought that the, the Titans might take a step back and I wasn't sure what to make of Rivers and the Colts. I, didn't think that that would be as successful as it has been. Um, and the Chargers missed out, missed on the Chargers as well. But I did have the Dolphins as the seven seed, which is possible still at this point. And uh, so, yeah, I had the Chiefs in the one seed. Um, and, Connor, not to spoil yours, but you and I both had the Steelers winning the AFC North. Come on. That's right. I had them going 13-3, and three, and I think they might finish at 13-3. and three. Like, I'm pretty excited about that. To be honest. So that was that was a, a success. So I think so. Yeah. Um, all right. So I had uh, just going through going through here. The NFC. I had Saints is the number one seed. Okay. Um, Seahawks is the number two seed. Eagles is the number three seed. Woof. Packers four. Rams five. Falcons six. Yikes. And uh, Buccaneers seven. Falcons. Uh, you know. So you, that, that, yeah, you and I both one. missed on the bird teams in the NFC. We have the same weaknesses, the Eagles and the Falcons. Let this be a lesson to us going forward, I think. You got to challenge uh, your bird tendencies, you know, and, uh, you, you know, that's a mental thing that you have to, that's a mental hurdle you got to get over. Um, in the AFC, Steelers one, Chiefs two, Patriots three, Titans four, Ravens five, Texans six, Charger seven. So yeah, I mean, I I think I especially my friend who has been DMing me after every Bills win this year, um, and makes me question the openness of my DMs at this point. Um, <laughs> yes, I, I I missed on the Bills. I made a mistake. <laughs> I picked them to go seven and nine. It was a gigantic mistake, and they already have ten wins. So uh, yes, uh, Bills, you are right. Uh, I was wrong. Uh, I don't know, though. I think we were okay. I would take this. It's actually not you know, as th- bad as I thought. Yeah. I, yeah, I thought we did pretty good, you know? You know, and the Bills, okay, 10 wins for the first time since 1999. Josh Allen took a much larger step forward than most people anticipated. So, okay. we, we And then and we overlooked the Browns. And we overlooked we the Browns. We did overlook and the like, Browns, but I mean, okay. again, who can blame us there? Right, so. yeah, like... <laughs> 
Um, I actually thought you had the Cardinals in the playoffs. I'm surprised looking back that you did not. You know, uh, with that team, uh, I think that there are certain components of, uh, of the whole organization that just drag me down just a little bit when I, when I want to push them up into the mantle place. I say, yeah, there's just, uh, there's just an ingrained cardinalness to them, you know, that's hard to, uh, that's hard to shake. So I don't know. Yeah. I guess that's what it is, you know? But I mean, you know, some of the teams that are always in the mix, we had them still continuing to have success. I don't know, Connor. Saints, Packers, Seahawks, Rams. We had a lot of I'm the, happy. we had a lot of the right teams in here. I'm happy. I, I think I we're feel okay. pretty good. Yeah. Except for yeah. the the Bills was our most glaring admission and Listen, you and I over the years have done a lot of Bills content. I don't think we have neglected Western New York in any way. Um, this is just a small sample size, one year where we whiffed. So, If I'm not mistaken, the last time the Bills were on the cover of Sports Illustrated was a story penned by none other than my co-host, Jenny Rentis. You know, that regime didn't end up working out, but, you know, it was just a couple years early. <laughs> <laughs> you were in on it back in the Rex Ryan days, you know? Went to the Big Tree Inn, enjoyed some buffalo wings, looked at the Bill's memorabilia on the wall. The Big Tree did Inn. You have, did you have some wings up there? Um, I don't actually think I ate them, but there was a giant plate on the table for the purposes of the video and overall ambiance for the cover shoot. So um, I am sure that the Big Tree Inn, once it is safe to do so, once the vaccine is widely distributed in our population, we'll be rocking. And I'm sure there are a lot of people who will be envisioning that they're at the big tree in as the Bills head to the playoffs. In my defense for Buffaloians, I was at, went there at my train, uh, like a mini training camp tour uh, last year and uh, was led to Bar Bill and had wings there. And uh, I, I, I wrote it was as close to a, a food religious experience as I've ever had. So I, I am a Buffalo fan, although it's hard for me. It's probably hard for you guys to see that now, uh, knowing that I picked you to go <laughs> seven and nine at the beginning of the season. So whatever. I, I mean, I don't want to. Well, I probably shouldn't say this, Connor, but while we're here, I'm just going to say it. I am not a big wings fan. Interesting. I have to be in the right mood for it. I have to be in the mood for it. Yeah, I mean, we've already it, drawn enough ire for our picks, so maybe we should just... <laughs> you're like you're like Governor Cuomo. It's not food. Remember he said that? I think it was during the pandemic right. that you had to be a, like a restaurant and you had to be open all the time. And he's like, and not just chicken wings. Just and chicken then wings, Buffalo was right. like, whoa. That's right. Yeah. I forgot about that. There's been a lot of wing slander this year. I don't need to add to it anymore. So why don't we move on to the Oracle, Connor? <laughs> All right, let's do it. Speaking of slander, uh, I have a major prediction uh, that actually has to do with the future of this program, uh, and uh, I'm I'm putting Jenny on the spot here. I'm going to surprise her a little bit, but I think um, with your help, listener help, uh, we need to uh, you know kind of build a little bit of a coalition for this. But we're tr- I'm going to try to get a famous guest on the podcast to back me up. Uh, for an argument that I made last week, uh, I put out a poll, which I'm not sure if you guys saw on Instagram, about who is funnier in commercials, Peyton Manning or Baker Mayfield. Uh, uh, Jenny had said Peyton Manning last week that his commercials are funnier than the Baker Mayfield progressive commercials. Um, 67% of respondents voted in favor of Jenny, um, uh, 33% uh, for me. So I got... Uh, 
I was the red in the electoral college in this one, and uh, you know, well, it, it, don't it was, say that, Connor. <laughs> yeah, never mind. Um, but uh, I will say that a uh, superstar had come to my defense on Twitter, um, and that's none other than, than Flo from Progressive. Flo herself, like, actually weighed in on this. Uh, now, does she have? Uh, a business uh, obligation to say that Baker Mayfield is funnier because they work for the same company? Possibly. But I would like to think that it's not only Flo who is saying this, but also the accomplished actress who plays Flo. Um, ben in Mad Men has been, uh, you know, in a lot of uh, big productions outside of the progressive commercials. So I'd like to think that a, a Hollywood megastar is siding with me and perhaps uh, is showing uh, me that it, there's more to this sort of flash poll that I took on Twitter, which, by the way, if you looked at, um, <clears throat> can't imagine why we had so much interest in polling this year, um, but if you look at all the polls as they were flooding in before the election, our Baker Mayfield poll like had more respondents <laughs> in like 24 hours than like certain like Gallup election polls like before the uh before the uh election but that said I, I can't verify the diversity of my polling and you know I don't know what parties everyone you know you know how many progressive employees are voting in this poll I don't know if there's any scientific nature to it but I I, th- I was pretty excited with the response that we got from it yeah that was pretty cool and I would also like to clarify Connor it wasn't until a Twitter user and I don't have their handle in front of me but they replied the best answer would be neither. And actually, that was what I was going for. I don't actually really like Peyton Manning in commercials, but I, I just don't like this genre of commercial. And I guess I was thinking like, well, Peyton Manning has this established history of like being good in commercials and Baker Mayfield's just breaking in. And I just don't really like either kinds of commercial. So um, so really, my answer was neither. Um, so I kind of regret throwing out the Peyton Manning comparison, just mm. as I regret comparing Rohan Nuncarni, our fantastic Philly host, to Taysom Hill, especially after this weekend. Rohan really, you know, came after me about that. And it was impulsive. It just kind of popped out of my mouth. There would be a lot better comparison. So sometimes you say things on the show, Connor, and you you wish you would set it a little differently. So that is definitely in this category. I've always seen Rohan uh, as sort of the Dwayne Wade of the operation. So interesting there. I'm going to just kind of kind of just in, ingrain myself with align myself with team Rohan here you know yeah we should all be should on all team fo- Rohan here oh yeah no Everyone one should be on team Rohan. Jenny with that uh <laughs> errant comparison so but if you would like Flo on the pod to make some football picks tweet it all right yes and tell her to get on the pod Flo let's do this all right and uh let's move on to the Ventus consensus all right we're gonna we're gonna make it happen Connor I'm very excited all right I mean, I don't have a great one this week, Connor, other than the fact that going into the season, we all believed that the Chiefs were the best team. And after this weekend, it's really clear that the Chiefs are the best team. The Steelers were undefeated for a while. And, you know, there's some other teams that got off to a hot start. The Seahawks among them. I also got sucked into those things. But here we are. It's December. And we're right back where we started from. The Chiefs are the best team. They're probably better than last year. Even when they have a game in Miami where they got off to a slow start, they're three interceptions by Patrick Mahomes, which is rare, still find a way to win against a quality AFC opponent. So 
I mean, in my mind, you could pencil this Chiefs in to be in Tampa Bay in early February or whenever the game is played because we all know everything's slightly up in the air. But uh, that's my consensus this week. I like that. It was funny um, when uh, <clears throat> when uh, on, on Sunday, you know, when I expressed something um, about the Chiefs being dominant, um, somebody said, well, Patrick Mahomes is playing like crap. And it's like, but you're, you're like you said, you're making our point for us. Like he had one of his worst games of the season. And, you know, the, the Dolphins closed the gap late, right? But that was not a close game for a majority of that game. And I would point to like the fourth down conversion where Kansas City needed to have it to basically bury the Dolphins there. And it's so effortless. Like it it really is like, you know, you watch all these other teams like think themselves into the ground to try to gain half of an inch. And Andy Reid just throws them out there in an open set. And, you know, you have five of the best receivers in the NFL and they're all just working around each other and creating legal traffic. And there's a wide open Tyree kill. Like Tyree kill is wide open on fourth and one. And uh, it's just, there's so much brain power and talent on that team. It's just, who are you betting against? You know, who are you taking in a bet against them at this point? I don't know. Connor, great minds think alike. I made that exact same point about the fourth and one conversion on the Monday morning podcast, Did you? which as we are oh. recording has not been released yet. So nice. I cannot believe it. Sometimes it's scary how similarly our brains work. Um, but I thought the same thing, right? They didn't overthink it. They know who their best player is. They know that it's really hard to stop Patrick Mahomes, obviously. And so they go for the fourth and one and they pass it. I mean, it was a clear example of why they are the best and they're so confident even when it's a slightly off day for, for Mahomes in the offense. Absolutely. Well, that was good. Good show. I'm excited for uh, Monday Night Football. Uh I'm going to make some tacos. So I had tacos this week as well, too, Connor. Jeez. I know. It's really getting Amazing. scary. <laughs> well, uh, maybe I'll... Uh, if you have any good recipe-like suggestions, like to kind of spice it up a little bit, you know, I'm kind of, you know, I'm in the market for, You're for some for more taco some suggestions. You're looking for some new ideas. Yeah, yeah. Well, we know that our lines are always open for readers that have good taco suggestions. That is a go-to. And we have certainly received many good ones over the weeks. So thanks again for joining us. We'll be back right here next week. The Weekside Podcast is me, Jenny Rentis, and Connor Orr. We are produced by Shelby Royston. SI's executive producer of podcasts is Scott Brody. Ben Eagle is director of editorial projects and product. Mark Moravik is the emeritus executive director of the MMQB. Our theme music was written and composed by singer-songwriter Ryan Harris-Brown, whose latest album, Stranded in the Present Tense, is available now on all major streaming services. Keep up with the Weekside Podcast by subscribing to our new feed on Apple Podcasts, and while you're there, leave a rating and review. It really does help other people find the show, which is also available on Spotify, Radio.com, Stitcher, or wherever else you find your podcasts.